Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Eliason Podcast. My name is Jacob, and this is my podcast. This is episode number 22, which means there are 21 previous episodes for you to listen to before this one. But since the last episode, it has been a minute, both literally and figuratively. Literally, if you listened to the last episode right before this, figuratively, if the last one you listened to is the last one that I uh, published. But uh, since... That's the case. There's been a few things that have happened since the since the last episode of this podcast, and uh, I just kind of want to dive into those. Number one was Halloween, and uh, I dressed I dressed up for Halloween this year. I haven't dressed up for Halloween in the past few years, but we had you know the same four or five friends over that we've hung out with uh, the the last six months. We had them over for Halloween, and I dressed up like an astronaut, but ended up looking more like a race car driver. And uh, the reason was because it was a onesie, a onesie-themed costume party. Don't ask why. That was a spur-of-the-moment decision that was probably in, uh, against our better judgment. The second thing that happened, Joseph R. Biden was elected uh, President of the United States. Whether he was elected in four days or still isn't elected, that's up to you. But if you're in the latter category, this may not... <laughs> may not be the best podcast for you to listen to anyway lots of uh lots of emotions lots of stress lots of you know just all over the place that week it's it's not typical a for an election to last more than just that night uh, but it's even less typical and less common for a president to just come full force uh, against the results like that so it's been a lot that was that, that, that was a stressful week the last thing that happened since the last thing of note since uh, this podcast, the last podcast was recorded, was Thanksgiving. And uh, this is a very COVID-themed Thanksgiving as the entire country, the CDC, the doctors, the the medical professionals are telling us not to travel. And uh, sure enough, we planned to travel. And sure enough, we encountered COVID. And so we actually ended up spending the entire week of Thanksgiving at, at home in our apartment in downtown Memphis, Tennessee, as we... Uh, waited our 14 days to self-isolate since we had been exposed to somebody directly, two people who uh, tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. So much like many people across the country, we and my family are dealing with COVID during this holiday season as well. But enough about that. Let's get into today's episode, which is, which is another interview. I'm excited to welcome another guest to the show. Uh, his name is Layden Williams. He, he is an athlete, a former athlete, and an author of a book called Beyond the Game about being an athlete and now a former athlete in the business world. He is an entrepreneur. Uh, he, he, he is the owner of the company Forward Direction, which is a book publishing house. He actually helps athletes and, and creatives publish, create and publish their first book. He's also a student at Columbia, and he is pursue, pursuing another degree, not one, and I don't think two. I think this is at least three. You'll hear more on the show. And he's also assumed to be sports agent. And much like me, Layden bailed on the nine to five and decided that going after his dream and his passion was a little bit more important uh, than the security of the nine to five job. So we have a lot in common. I'm extremely excited to, 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 to pass you over to this episode after the intro. Uh, we talk about his early career transition and really kind of making that decision in his late 20s and the process that went into that. We talk about uh, his 
you know, books. Obviously, he's an author. He, he owns a publishing company. Books mean a lot. So we dive into books and we dive into the process of writing a book. Uh, and he talks about what his book is about. And uh, we also talk a little bit about culture and, and how that plays a role in what he does and the decisions that he makes and, and how that can all play a role in what we do. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to pass you over. But uh, if you like the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It helps more people see the show, and I want more people to see the show. And if you like it, you should want more people to see the show. So uh, go do that right now while you're listening to this next 30 seconds of intro music. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. Layton Williams, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the platform to speak today. Oh, man. You're an author, entrepreneur, scholar, soon-to-be sports agent. Uh, I'm just ex- excited to spend some time with you tonight talking through all of those things. So, uh, no, I really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. No problem at all. Thanks again for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I want to let you introduce yourself. The people who listen to the show know me pretty well by this point. So uh, just uh, tell anyone who's listening a little bit about you. Great. Uh, so my name is Layden Williams. I'm currently in Brooklyn, New York. I'm from a small town, uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Those of you that are familiar with Virginia Tech, go Hokies. It's about 30 minutes from Blacksburg. Uh, grew up playing sports, was a huge basketball player, played Division II basketball down at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Um, still keep in touch with a lot of my friends that are actually still playing overseas to this day. Uh, long story short, instead of going to play overseas, I went to school for the first time to get my MBA at Radford University uh, with the intention of becoming a CPA. In short, I had to meet the 150-hour threshold, so the MBA plus the undergrad would have allowed me to sit for the four-part exam. But I quickly realized that I didn't want to be a bean counter, so I uh, transitioned to the audit space. One, because I wanted to travel, learn the ins and outs from a policies and procedures perspective. But two, I also wanted to just kind of expand my palate and try something different in the financial services industry. Was in banking for about six years and decided that I wanted to be on the business side of sports. So now I am a student at Columbia University, getting my master's in sports management. Uh, as Jacob mentioned, I also wrote a book. It's called Beyond the Game. I um, also have a publishing company, a few additional side projects, and also have a podcast myself. But uh, looking forward to joining this one and having this conversation with Jacob. That's awesome. Let's start. Let's start from the the banking to, to sports business transition here. Uh, and I wanted to kick this off because we have this this in common because I also left, I, I was in banking and I left that job and went into marketing where I am now. Uh, but I want to talk with you about the process of just totally switching gears from a career standpoint um, at our age. Um, and I know it's, it's significantly earlier uh, than a lot of career transitions happen for people. Um, but I am of the opinion that doing it earlier is maybe a little bit smarter uh, in the long run. So I wanted to just talk through that process. So like what went into the career transition? Was there, a, was there a moment that you just knew that you had to get out or a moment that you knew that it wasn't for you? Uh, and then what did it look like preparing to do that? Yeah, good good uh, question. And, and I never hide, uh, I guess, my age. So I, I am 32. Um, I actually had what I call a light bulb moment when I would say probably about three years ago. Um, I actually got a chance to meet the COO of the Charlotte Hornets. His name is Fred Whitfield. He's literally Michael Jordan's right-hand man. And um, at the time, my advisor at the bank, I was telling her that 
hey, I'm enjoying my job, making a really good um, salary, but the long-term vision is to ultimately do something that pertains to the sports space, but I'm not sure exactly what lane or what I'm, what I'm passionate about. So I um, exhausted all my options and said, uh, it would be ideal if I could work for a league or a team one day. And she said, oh, one of my brother's friends, because her brother at the time um, he used to play for the Minnesota Vikings. He was really good friends with some of the management at the Hornets. She said, oh, I have a good friend that works in leadership with the Hornets. You should just see if you can get 20 minutes on his calendar to connect. Uh, the Hornets arena was literally five minutes walk from uh, the bank I was working at at the time. And through her connection, she was actually able to set up a um, uh, informal luncheon with uh, Mr. Whitfield. Uh, it actually took roughly about eight months to get the luncheon off because he's a very busy man. And I was very persistent about actually meeting him opposed to just having like a phone call. But after hearing his story, um, he actually started out as an internal auditor and he had a chance meeting um, through. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he actually started as an internal auditor. He was a camp counselor at Campbell. And at the time, Michael Jordan was a student at uh, Laney High School and they were recruiting him. And he was like, hey, this kid's going to be really good one day. And uh, long story short, he began to develop a relationship with Michael throughout the years. and, And Michael inspired him to go back to school to get his law degree, to become his agent. And I just kind of had a click moment where I was like, man, he started out in audit, but now he's literally like the head of the Hornets. It just shows it doesn't matter uh, where you start. It just kind of matters where you finish. So that's when I started to do some soul searching and started to connect the dots and do a lot of informational interviews with people in the industry that I call game changers or people that are in spaces I desire to be in. I started to say, okay, this is an option. Uh, The agency is an option. Working in brand partnerships or working in marketing is an option. So then I had to go back to the drawing boards and kind of see exactly where I wanted to be an asset. Yeah. And it all started with that connection. Of course. I think it started with that connection. I've always been a little mindful of, all right, this guy's doing this in the sports industry. This individual is a mogul in the entertainment industry. And I was always on the sideline, but I wasn't sure how I would quote unquote get in the game. So when I took a step back and I started to kind of do some pattern recognition of where people started their careers or types of positions they had early on, I said, hey, it's, it's, it's not too late. Well, it's actually never too late to kind of bet on yourself and, and make that transition. Um, but then I just started to read more books, um, subscribe to more things that intersected sport, business, and hip-hop culture, and just decided to kind of weigh my options and see how I could make that same transition. <clears throat> I love that you said bet on yourself because that's kind of been my driving motto and my, my tagline for myself for, for the last five or six years. Uh, that's always just always the default decision that I go back to. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a situation. I'm going to bet on myself. Uh, I got, I got a decision to make. I'm going to bet on myself. Uh, whether that means just betting that I've done the work to prepare for this and that I, and to, to be confident going into it, uh, or to go and meet somebody that I've never met before and be bold about it. I just always, I love that you said bet on yourself because, uh, I'm the exact same way. I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, when you were still in the finance world, were you like actively seeking out uh, networking opportunities with people in that space that you were in? I was. Uh, that's a great question. I actually want to backtrack a little bit. Sure. One of my mentors, he actually said, people always say, he always says this cliche, say investing or to bet on yourself. So he says, before you can bet on yourself, you need to invest in yourself. So mm-hmm. before I actually bet on myself, like I said, I did a lot of reading, a lot of informational interviews a lot of soul searching, a lot of uh, internal SWOT analysis to say, hey, this option is going to maybe put me on this career path. This option is going to land me here one day. So before I could even 
um, I guess, bet on myself. I one had to invest in myself. But back to your question about the seeking opportunities and networking. So I actually call networking exchanging value because when you reach out to someone, reach out to someone, you want to bring something to the table and you want to exchange value in a sense. So let's say I'm connecting with someone that's like a VP at a sports marketing agency and, and they see that I'm uh, going to school at Columbia. Maybe I might not be able to connect them with a peer that's also a VP, but what I could do is maybe mention their name to a professor and say, hey, I spoke to XYZ at, at this company. Um, maybe we can bring them in for a, a lunch and learn, or they could speak to our students or speak to our cohort. And that just small glimpse of value is going to show that I'm actually bringing something to the table. So yes and no, I was looking for ways to exchange value um, outside of the banking industry, but I wasn't actively looking for like career options at that time. Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's 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 interesting. The next, the, 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 and it kind of comes into the next question that I have, which is when you look back, you know, now you've made the pivot, you've, you've completely shifted, you're invested in a totally different career path. You know, when you look back, do you, do you regret going into finance in the first, first place at all? That's a, another good question. I, I live life with no regrets um, at the time. So I talk about this early on in my, uh, in my book, I think they went through my book. I talk about not really being sure what I wanted to do with my life from a career aspect always kind of using basketball and sport as a crutch. Um, I actually had a chance meeting with my older cousin who, he's old enough to be my uncle, shout out to Uncle Reggie, who was an accountant at the time. And we had a uh, graduation party at his house. And I just remember going to his house. It was a three-story house. He had a brand new Denali, a really nice, I want to say he had a three-car garage at the time in Virginia Beach. And I, and I was like, hey, dad, what does Uncle Reggie actually do? And he's like, he's an accountant. And I was in 11th grade. That wasn't the first time I heard that term, but I still wasn't exactly sure what it meant. And I was like, what does that actually mean? He was like, well, maybe you should go ask him when he has a second. So I sat with him and discussed like what it actually entails. And at the time, I was really into just like tracking the spending habits of celebrities and seeing how that could turn into a career from an account standpoint. So I was fascinated by that. So that was my initial decision to go into studying finance slash accounting. Plus, it's a safe it's a safe um, major. Like there's always going to be a need for someone to work in finance. It's a, uh, it's, it's easy to discuss in conversation when someone says, Oh, yeah. what are you doing? I'm playing basketball, but I'm studying finance. They're like, Oh, that's impressive. Most student athletes usually study general management or communications or something a little easier to kind of balance that, uh, that, that student athlete life. But my intention was to become a CPA and, and just cl climb the corporate ranks in that manner. But, I quickly realized that that wasn't something I was passionate about. So what 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 was that light bulb moment that made you shift from okay, I'm in finance right now to there's there's a totally new world that's right within my fingertips that I've got to go grab. Yeah, I think one of the light bulb well, it was actually a sequence of events. It wasn't necessarily just uh, I guess one moment. Um, I know I had mentioned the Fred Whitfield. Uh, meeting but um there was another instance where i was literally in a conference room one day and we were talking about like these regulations that were that had been violated and some other some other task at hand that was obviously talking about finance 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 and more finance and i was like all right like what the hell am i actually doing right now like i'm thinking <laughs> I'm, like checking my phone i'm looking at espn i'm on instagram looking to see like what uh Slam Magazine just posted. I'm looking to see, like, what are the latest ads for Nike. I'm looking at Rich Paul's uh, Twitter. I'm like, all right, 
these guys are actually doing stuff that's like cool and it's on the business side of sports and i was like all right i gotta figure out like what i'm going to do so that i can be in a space that i'm passionate about and also that i'm happy about um at the time i was living in charlotte again working for the bank one of the bigger banks and uh i was living in a high rise living the the life of a banker i guess i was actually walking to work it was like a five minute walk and uh, mm-hmm. I was supposed to be in the office every day, like, I think it was like 8, 8.15. I would literally get there like 8.17, 8.20, 8.30. it's a five-minute walk. There's people commuting for like an hour even yeah. further away. And they're, and they're getting to the office. It's cruising yeah, is what getting, I would call that. Exactly. They're, they're getting to the office before me. And I'm like, I'm dreading going into the office. Uh, I had a, like a little battle with uh, depression where I was like, all right, I definitely mm-hmm. don't want to go into the office on Monday mornings. And I was just like, this isn't healthy. So then I started to seek career advice and that's like i said i started to do the soul searching and the informational interviews and i started to weigh the pros and the cons because in full transparency i was basically walking away from a six-figure job to figure out what i wanted to do on the business side of sports did you have like a a specific moment that was outside of just like being at work and being like what am i doing Mm -hmm. but just like having a like having a moment like personally with yourself that you were like okay it's go time yeah, I think uh, one moment I had was shout out to my homie Jeff Wallace who works at Bleacher Report. He does the uh, content and he does activation, the video producer. He actually, um, I didn't get a chance to meet with him at All Star, but one of my good friends is down in Charlotte. Um, Jared Jeffries was really good friends with him. We all went to Radford University together. And uh, he was like, Yeah, I just ran into Jeff um, at the, I think it was House of Hoops that was actually taking place in my building at the time. And um, he like explained to me what it was. So we walked down there and got to check it out. And I was and I was speaking with people that worked at Mountain Dew, Pepsi, uh, Bleacher Report, and Nike, and they were telling me about their day to day perspective, or not day to day perspective, but their 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 roles and their jobs. And I was just like, literally, my jaw hit the ground. That I was like, this is what people get to do. They actually get to travel and they get to be around a sport that they love. And they're doing these dope activations. Now I'm sure that this isn't their day-to-day every day but to say that they were a part of this is, is pretty cool so that was the moment when i was like all right if someone can do this why am i not doing this so i guess that was one um, moment that kind of really sticks out was when they had the all-star events in charlotte um, back in 2018 and i attended a lot of those festivities and began to kind of network and exchange value there to kind of weasel my way into certain conversations that's how you got to do it do you think were you once you once you made that decision and you were like, I got to figure this out, were you always just kind of like being expectant of an opportunity to happen? Because I know like for me, I was always like, it, it was like if I was meeting with somebody, whether it be for the bank or, or not for the bank, if I was meeting with them, I was really trying to engage in conversation with them because if they said anything that might trigger an opportunity for me to, to get gone from the banking atmosphere, like I was open to it, right? Yeah. Especially if it was something I was interested in. And so I, I found that I was always expectant of an opportunity. And I think because of that, that helped me get there quicker. And so I wonder if, if you have that same kind of experience where you were just always kind of not, not necessarily on the hunt, but through everyday life and casual stuff where you just like expecting something good to happen. Yeah. So uh, one thing I've been trying to, um, zone in on more in 2020 as I talked to my therapist is being present in the present. So when I was um, at these different companies in the finance space, whether it was as an internal auditor, a senior auditor, as a compliance consultant, I would always kind of look ahead and peek ahead to say, okay, 
this isn't what I really want to be doing, but in two years, I'll be doing this. In three years, I'll be making this and so forth, instead of actually just soaking up what it was that I wanted to, um, I guess, perfect or enhance from a skill set perspective. And that was always because I just wasn't happy with the role that I was in. And then I slowly realized that I wasn't happy with the career I was in, which led to, again, the, the networking, the informational interviews, the deep dives, the value exchange. So when I was um, looking ahead, uh, sort of speak to different opportunities, I said, okay, what type of role, I literally wrote this down, I still have it in my notes, would I be happy with that I would wake up to with like a, with like a smile on my face and say, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. Because a good mentor told me that a way to find something that you want to do is by doing something that you hate. And I feel like I've done that for oh, um, yeah. a good portion or a better portion of my life. So when I'm able to step into these opportunities that I'm passionate about, that's why my drive is on overload. Because I, awesome. I know what it's like to be on the other side of the fence. I know what it's like to, to dredge your job, to have to engage in fake conversations with coworkers just to literally make it to lunch, to look forward to lunch, to come back and just watch your clock at your desk all day. Like it's, it's literally the worst. Yeah. And I think, you know, something else that's interesting too, is there's, especially when you look into the sports sports space, companies are becoming more progressive quicker, I think in the sports space and kind of some other industries. And what I mean by that is you're, you're an entrepreneur, like you've written a book and you have a publishing company, you know, there's a lot of very traditional corporate environments, especially in the finance space, that would not really like the fact that you have your own business on the side. Exactly. But when I when I look about when I look at the sports space and when I think about it, and one of the reasons that I like it so much and so in, intrigued, other than the fact that, well, I love sports and I love business, but uh, it's it's that it's it's a very progressive culture and not in a political sense in a, in a moving forward and adapting to the way that we want to work that the people want to work and that the customers want to, to that the way they want to interact with companies. And so I think that's important. I, I would definitely agree. And it's funny because I actually didn't share with my uh, team at the time when I was at the bank that I was publishing a book because I didn't want them to, like you said, worry about me starting my own business or having some type of outside income outside of the office. Uh, Cause they would probably think that it would cut into my work with it actually didn't because at the same yeah. time writing a book, I actually got a certification to become a certified internal auditor. Uh, Cause again, I wanted to learn as much as I could and hopefully step into like a management role. But um, yeah, I didn't really share it. And then once the book kind of came out, it was funny because my manager said, Oh, I heard you wrote a book. You should have put it in like our uh, company newsletter. Could have led to like some more sales. So going forward, I would definitely probably share that information as long as it doesn't interfere um, with my job. So yeah. Moving forward, let's talk about the book. Okay. So, so you're an author, first time author. Yep. You published your first book recently. It's a memoir, right? Correct. Okay. And so let's talk about it. You have a publishing company, but let's start, let's start with the book. Yes, yeah, so the book again is called uh, Beyond the Game, One Athlete's Journey to Finding Their Path uh, After the Horn. So back in 2015, uh, when I was supposed to be studying for my CPA, I actually turned it into journaling. So I was writing like two or three lines a day. Didn't even have a laptop at the time. Uh, literally hated my job. Um, and I would just come home and write two or three lines about like when I was playing basketball back at Catawba or how I grew up and thought I was going to be like this really big star. Not even on like the basketball um court but just like in life and I was like man I'm not really doing anything that I'm passionate about but I'm passionate about writing this every day even if it's three or four lines here and there and so back in 2018 um, I got pretty far along in my book and the only thing that was kind of holding me back from being consistent 
was a laptop. So again, I invested in myself and actually bought a laptop, saved up a few pennies and decided to kind of crank out the book. And since I had spent nearly three and a half years on the book, I didn't necessarily want to publish it uh, myself. So I contacted a local publisher um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, who had experience working um, with individuals that were interested in publishing memoirs. So I connected with her and devised a plan to kind of, um, I guess, write out my first book. How long did that take? How long did it take from start to finish to write the book? Uh, I would actually say on and off, probably about three and a half years, because I would hit either writing blocks or just um, full transparency, me just being lazy and not owning up yeah. to it and being like, yeah, I need to actually carve out some time to write. Like I would find literally every excuse under the sun not to write. So when I would actually put the pen to paper, so to speak, it would it would obviously expedite the process a little bit quicker. But um, I'd say about three and a half years. Three and a half years. So did you, so did you make the outline for the book and then just couldn't put it together or did you just have the idea and didn't start writing? What was it? Cause I, I've got like two or three different outlines for books that are completely a polished outline. All I have yeah. to do is fill it in. And I yeah. just, I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing everything except sitting down and getting it written. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So, um, my brother, he actually bought me a book for Christmas. I want to say five years ago. That was like how, I don't even remember the title, but it's like how authors make it or writing for dummies. It's one, it's something like that because <laughs> I was basically writing, but I didn't have any format. So I didn't know I needed like an outline. Like, of course I've read a lot of books and, and I've talked around the idea of actually writing my own, but I wasn't sure like, okay, this is chapter one. This is chapter two. This is how the book ends. What's the theme about? What's the target audience? Like what's your marketing pitch? All that good yep. stuff. So when I was writing it, I would try to just compile similar chapters together and then I would turn that into an outline. And then once I actually finished writing all my journal entries, I was like, okay, this makes sense for chapter one. I'm going to talk about my childhood. Chapter two, I'm going to talk about the first time I picked up a basketball. Chapter three, I'm going to talk about how like I wasn't sure about which college I wanted to go to. I basically wanted to go somewhere where I was getting a scholarship. Chapter four, I'm going to talk about like what I majored in and so forth. So the biggest, I guess, obstacle outside of the writing was picking the correct format and making sure that I had the proper outline. But I think the hurdle or the obstacle was just honestly myself worrying about uh, what people would think once I published a book and then two, just being consistent with writing. What was the response when you published the book? Yeah. So the response was uh, actually overwhelming. So at the time I had shared with a few close friends and family members that I have, that I was working on something um, in the form of uh, literature, obviously the book, and they were like, I can't wait to it comes out. Just let me know how, how I can support it and I'll be there. So, yeah, when I was talking to my friends and family about the book, I feel like they were pretty, pretty supportive. I had three successful book launches once I actually um, published it. It's almost sold close to 700 copies in less than a year. So I'd say it's pretty successful. Wow. A small sample. Yeah. And you, you're, you sell it on Amazon, correct? It's on Amazon. It's also on um I task of books and I have a okay. few hard copies uh, at home. So, yeah. Did you, did you work with a publishing company or did you self publish the book? Yeah. So I actually worked with a publishing company okay. again, since I took nearly four years to write it, I call it my baby. I didn't want to just, uh, I mean, I could have probably published it myself if I did a little bit more homework, but the, the lady that I worked with, um, shout out to, I want to say it's LLK, um, productions or no it's a and k publishing in charlotte north carolina um again at the time i was completely blind to the process 
And me being the entrepreneur heart that I am, I went into it with, I put my auditor hat on and I was like, okay, I'm going to identify the gaps and the, and the, basically the spaces that could use some improvement this time around. So that when I open my own publishing company, I can offer these things because I, I love that. Knew, yeah. Cause I knew at the end, I love that. Yeah. I knew I wanted to write a book, but I also knew that I wanted to work with athletes in some capacity to help them write books and tell their stories as well. So you obviously did find gaps in that and you did turn it into a publishing company mm -hmm. and that publishing company is called Forward Direction. Uh, so talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So again, my actual personal mantra is Forward Direction at all times. It basically means to get better each and every day, whether that's picking up a new book, learning a new word, learning a new recipe, uh, re-engaging and pouring into an old relationship. It just means to move forward at all times. Now, I'm very mindful that you sometimes have to move laterally or even take a step back, but it's just that mindset to have a forward direction at all times. And again, the um, I guess the mission of my publishing company is to work with athletes or creatives that are interested in telling their story. Um, as I tell, as I told you last week, that I feel like if you are a professional athlete or you even played at the collegiate level, you definitely have a platform for one and two. You probably have some type of fan base that is going to support whatever it is that you do. So I'm just identifying opportunities, working with a few professional athletes now to kind of help with their first book. And I also have a good friend that I'm publishing her uh, children's book for the holidays coming up. And so obviously, obviously you've written a book, you have a publishing company, you're a reader. Cool. So what, uh, what does your bookshelf look like right now? What you, what are you, what are you reading right now? Uh, one of the books I'm actually reading is, um, Oh, let me actually grab the title. I don't want to mess it up. It's actually a really good read. Um, so I'm reading Seth Godin. This is marketing. Oh, yeah. Um, you can't be seen until you learn to see. I'm also reading this book. Um, it's 40, $40 million slaves. It's about um, black athletes basically being used in their respective sport, but not having any like uh, decision-making power or um, actual I call it Juice. That's a really good book that was recommended mm -hmm. by um, one of my mentors. And then I'm also uh, reading whatever articles my professor sent over to me. This is Marketing is one of those that you can just kind of have sitting by you all day, every day, and just comb, comb through it and find hidden gems. It's amazing. Yeah, of course. Definitely. I'm all about what, with hidden gems. Oh, yeah. What Outside of what you're reading now, is there anything – you know, when I think through the process that I went through to, you know, to make the decision to go and leave the stable job and go pursue something totally different and take that risk, if you want to call it a risk, I don't necessarily think anymore it's a risk. Uh, I think it's an investment. But uh, what books have been foundational for you through that process? Like what, what books did you read that really impacted you uh, and that you would recommend to people? Um, I would say The Power of Who. That was recommended by Fred Whitfield. That basically talks about knowing everyone that you already need to know and using that network internally to kind of um, make the make the next step in either your career or your life. That was a really good book. Um, really good book. Uh, that's a tough question to put me on the spot. Uh, I'll say The Tipping Point. That's a really mm. good book. Um, like tipping point is a good one to read right now exactly, exactly. <laughs> like during the pandemic it's a good one to read because it kind of puts everything into perspective exactly I, I would definitely agree um man other than that what what have you been up to this year like what has 2020 looked like for you your instagram feed looks like you've been balling out but 
uh, I know there's been some some quarantine lockdown time in there. So what's what's 2020 been for you? Yeah, those are those are small glimpses of of, <laughs> of, of when I get a chance to leave my uh, leave my box, as I call it, in New York. Um, you know, Instagram's a highlight reel. You're not gonna you're not gonna show your, uh, your struggles on there, but um, that's yeah. why I'm not on there right now, man. I don't I, have I any highlights. I hear you, but uh, yeah, 2020, I've actually been able to kind of power through the pandemic. Uh, I think one thing that I've been mindful of when I moved to New York, I made a conscious decision to not put a TV in my room. So when I'm in my room, I'm usually reading or looking up an article on my computer or listening to a podcast or just like meditating or something. But at the beginning of the year, when I moved here, my first goal was to actually learn the train system because I'm directionally challenged and I'm, I, would, <laughs> I would get lost very quickly. Uh, so as I began to kind of train myself to know my route from Brooklyn to the city to go to Columbia, I, the pandemic started. So I was able to check off that goal, but then I had to pick up a new goal, which was to not quote unquote hit, hit a wall when the pandemic started. Um, there was obviously a lot of panic. I thought about actually just going back to Virginia cause I moved here from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like, it was a huge process to move here and I'm not just willing to kind of give up just yet and move mm -hmm. home and honestly i don't think i would be as driven or determined if i was to move home and quote unquote be like babied and pampered by my parents because even though i'm 32 i am the youngest child so my mom still looks to me as her as her baby boy so oh yeah i'm the only one exactly. I, I understand exactly so i wanted to kind of uh, tough it out up here and make the most of my time so i did give myself some time to just kind of reflect and make sure that my mental health was in a good place and also that um, everything was on the up and up. So earlier in March and April, I wasn't really doing too much, but then I, I decided to uh, create a way to create a social footprint, um, which was the podcast. So I started a podcast back in April, which led to me starting the, the LLC, the publishing company for direction. And then I also partnered with a group um, that's over, uh, it's called the lab. It's a Slack community group for individuals that want to work in the sports industry. Um, when I was, I guess, tapped to help them, they had roughly 75 members and they, they have almost 400 members that are actually in the sports industry that connect with people that want to work on the business side of sports. So it's awesome. Yeah. So my March, April, May, June, July was just me putting my head down and figuring out ways how to be productive and not go crazy. I don't think we, I don't think we, I brought this up at the beginning, but we met, via Twitter, which is pretty much like 75% of the people that come on the show is someone I've met on social media, which is not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Uh, but I was going through and doing just last minute research and walking through uh, just your, your social profiles. And I noticed that everywhere that I can find you on your website, you mentioned culture. Everywhere you're active online, you mentioned culture. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they see that, when they see culture, their minds immediately go to pop culture the things that keep us entertained as opposed to the culture and society, which is the things that bind us together and move us forward. Uh, I don't get that vibe from you. And mm -hmm. when I talk to you about, you know, being an entrepreneur and having a, a, a you, you've got a vision, right? Mm -hmm. Typically somebody who's willing to risk everything from a career standpoint, uh, it's something bigger than a job. When they're, when you're willing to leave a good stable thing, it's, it's something bigger. And typically people who are after something bigger than a job uh, are people who make, big impacts on culture. So I guess my question is, what, what is your take on culture as it stands right now? You know, why, why do you think it's, it's such an important part of, of everything that you're going to do moving forward and what you do right now? And what do you think that we, as the next generation of leaders 
uh, in this country, in this world, uh, can do to make that better. It's a, it's three-parted, and I know it's deep, uh, but uh, this is how I want to bring it home. Yeah, no worries, no worries at all. Um, I think that culture is the root, some of the foundation of almost everything. So if you look, for example, at basketball, just for just like a high-level example, you see like league fits, like fashion or off-court fashion was not, it wasn't as big as it is today, like 15, 20 years ago. And now you see like the younger rookies and the younger athletes, like making sure that they're super fresh before the game. And that bleed, and that bled in from hip hop culture or just like lifestyle culture, or you'll look at, you'll look at music and you'll see all these musicians that want to uh, have these training videos with, with NBA trainers or NBA athletes because they're into that basketball culture. Or you'll you'll just look at athletes using their platform to kind of raise awareness for social injustices against like the brown and black communities, such as like LeBron James or Colin Kaepernick. That again is a part of culture. I feel like today's day and age, athletes are more than just athletes. They're willing to pay for hate to do the shameless plug, but go beyond the game and, and use their platforms to showcase hmm. their like an interest that always goes back to the culture. Gotcha. I agree with you. Uh, I see culture is is the fabric. That, that weaves us all together. Um, and I, I'm of the opinion that, that we have a responsibility. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm, I bring people on the show and I ask people to come on the show uh, that I think are taking responsibility and, and going and, and, and stopping to rely on other people for their own lives and also moving forward and trying to make an impact on the world. Mm-hmm. And, I think that we have a responsibility to do that. So, um, I guess we can we can end this talking about basketball because we haven't talked cool. about basketball yet. And I guess the most topical, I saw a a headline this morning that said that the Rockets and the Nets, which you're in Brooklyn right now, cool. so the Rockets and the Nets had been discussing or had potentially discussed bringing Harden over in a trade. Oh, so man. my first my first question is how do you feel about that? My immediate reaction as a fan is oh that would be cool, but my immediate reaction is like a former player, and if I was a coach I'd be like this sounds like a headache. Are you a, are you a Nets fan generally, or or because you're there are you ingrained in it now? Yeah, so I'm I'm a Lakers fan first and foremost. Kobe, RIP to the legend, he's the goat in my book. So I'm far from a Nets fan. Uh, I do like. Kevin Durant's game, not really a big fan of James Harden's game. I'm not really sure how James Harden, Kyrie, and KD would work with one basketball. I'm sure that would just, I mean, be a lot of dribbling and a lot of standing. But uh, I'm just interested to see, I guess, how that plays out. Yeah, I I agree with you. They would probably just have to get two basketballs, and then we would just start playing with two basketballs because, well, anyway. (laughs) it's As a Grizzlies fan, seeing, you know, today Chris Paul – uh, got traded to the Suns. And so seeing that kind of happen and seeing the potential of Harden Westbrook drama as a Grizzlies fan, mm-hmm. I, I I would love if they all got out of the West. Yeah. Because we needed to lighten up for for John Morant to go on his legendary uh career that he's about to embark on. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I'm a huge uh I'm a huge John Morant um fan. I actually just did a project on him for my uh what is it, my sports foundations classes where I was basically trying to find some brands that he could partner with that are uh, in the Memphis area and also just some ideas from like a marketing concept. So I keep up with Ja. 
think that they have a good bright core so we'll see how that goes i'm excited from a lot of different standpoints with jaw uh the other reason is it goes it, it kind of extends outside of jaw uh if we can get this if we can get through this pandemic, we're going to have a lot of eyes on Memphis. And that's really, really good for this franchise and really, really good for the city. But you've got a bunch of Duke guys here. Mm-hmm. You've got Ja. You've got uh, a bunch of Nike guys. So, you know, it seems to me, and Penny is here too, coaching at University of Memphis. So it seems to me like there's about to be a resurgence of Nike being present here in Memphis. And that could really be a really great thing for this city because typically anytime a really good sports franchise is here, does wonders for the city. And Memphis is, have you ever been to Memphis? I have. Uh, I've passed through Memphis uh, a few times. I'm a huge uh, hip hop fan. So one of my favorite rappers is from Memphis, but uh, I know that that's the place for barbecue. So, Oh man, it's the place. And there's, there's so many that you, you in, when you live here, you end up getting into arguments over which one of the really good barbecue places you're going to go to. Oh, man. So just, uh, yeah, it's it's good. Well, I guess let's close it. And you, if you want to let everybody know where they can connect with you across the internet cool. and where they can buy the book. Of course. I appreciate you, uh, first and foremost, for having me on here. This is awesome. I love yeah, what man. you're doing. And obviously, we are passionate about the, interse- the intersection of business and sports and anyone that's using their platform, especially during this pandemic, to kind of make these connections again and bring value and create some content for those that are inspired to make that transition, the more the better. But uh, you can get connected with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. It's Layden Will, L-A-Y-D-E-N-W-I-L-L. Um, so those are my handles. You can purchase the book on Amazon or at Itasca. Just type in Beyond the Game. Uh, it should be the first book that pops up. Um, and I have a, I'll, I'll put a link. I'll put a link in the notes to the show. Cool. And then I have another book that's coming up for the holidays for kids or for the family. It's actually called what do reindeer do on Christmas? Um, it's my first client, um, Brittany Miles, who's also down in North Carolina. She actually works at the bank, but is making a transition herself. So uh, we're actually publishing her first book that's out December 10th, and it'll be available on Amazon. Reading is fundamental. If you've got kids and you're listening to this, get your kids books and read to them all the time and let them read all the time because that's it's foundational. I'm so glad that my parents gave me books and read to me when I was a kid. <laughs> of course. And I hated reading for a while, right? I came back. I came back and I love reading now. So anyway. All right. It was a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. All right. Take it easy. You too. Thanks again. Yep.